So good morning listeners and welcome to Come and See Inspiration. It's been produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada. And this, the 9th of February, it's the 5th Sunday in Ordinary Time. And as usual, great for me to welcome uh, my colleague who's joining me again this morning, Shane Elbridge. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? I'm good. Thank you very much, Neil, for joining me. And this, as we said, the 9th of February, it's the 5th Sunday in Ordinary Time. We like always uh, to welcome those listeners who are with us each week, especially those who are housebound, those who are lonely, struggling maybe today in some way, um, maybe looking forward to a visit of somebody and those of you who are out there, those of us who can maybe to try and pay a visit to those who are lonely. But thank you again for joining us. Um, our programme, as people would know at this stage, is broadcast on a programme called Sacred Space, which is on West Limerick 102 Local Radio, 10am and 11pm each Sunday, and is available for playback and download on commonseeinspirations.buzzsprout.com. Again, the easiest way to do that is just Google Common Sea Inspirations. It's also available through our, our, our blog, our Sacred Space blog, sacredspace102.blogspot.com. Also available on Spotify, again, by just searching for Common Sea Inspirations and also iTunes. So again, thank you again for joining us and hopefully you'll enjoy what we got lined up today. Our guest uh, that we had originally lined up for this week, unfortunately, had a, had a problem right at the last minute. So we had to make alternative arrangements. So what we've done, myself and Shane have agreed, we're going to play something that I recorded actually early on last year. Uh, I do this every now and again, just in case something goes wrong, I try to keep something available. Um, Marion Finucane, the Lord of Messina. Marion introduced or interviewed Mark Hederman, uh, the former abbot of Glenstor. And Father Mark came in to join her, actually it was in June last year, to speak about his book, Live in the Mystery. So we're actually going to play that interview that Marion conducted with Father Hederman in part two of the programme. And of course, as usual, in part three, we will read and reflect on the Word of God. So that's our plan for this week. Again, if you've got any um, anything you'd like to share with us in terms of maybe music you'd like to play, maybe there's people you'd like us to chat about on the programme, maybe there's people, um, maybe there's topics you'd like us to talk, talk about, discuss, or get somebody to talk about, give us a shout, give us an email, give us a text. 087-6088-667 that's 087-6088-667 or you can email us and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com and just a bit of interest there are so just for some information we do actually put a notice into the Ada and Carrie Kerry uh, parish notes and also the Newcastle West parish notes each week so if, if you if you can't remember those details those contact details that are given you'll find them there in the in the bulletins, so that text 087-6088-667 or email sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Now, as usual, Shane, you might share some saints for the week, please, with us. Thank you. Thanks, John. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, t- as John said, today is the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. <clears throat> so for those praying the Psalter, we're on week one. So, it's, you know, time is moving on. It's only a couple of weeks and we'll be into the start of Lent. So this week on the liturgical calendar, who do we have in terms of our celestial guides? So tomorrow, Monday is the 10th of February, and it is the feast day of St. Scholastica. 
Now, Scholastica is remembered as a consecrated virgin. Uh, she was the sister, the twin sister, actually, no less, of St. Benedict. He who wrote the rule of St. Benedict, which is followed in the various Benedictine houses around the world. Um, she's a, She spent her life as a consecrated virgin. Now, there's a slight difference. That isn't exactly the same thing as a nun, as we would understand it. It's a different... It's a different thing. It's a different understanding of consecration um, in, in, in terms of the consecrated life. But anyway, St. Scholastica died in 543 AD. And uh, so that's what we celebrate on the 10th of February. Then on the 11th of February, <clears throat> we celebrate uh, the feast day of Our Lady of Lourdes. So this is the day in 1858 when Our Lady first appeared to St. Bernadette Savoris in the grotto in Lourdes. And, of course, later Bernadette was to understand, ask the lady who she was, and that great reply, I am the Immaculate Conception, which, of course, was the reply that was given um, after the declaration of the, the, of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception by the Pope. Um, at the same time, it is also the feast, it is also the World Day of Prayer for the Sick, uh, as, of course, very much associated with Lourdes are the sick, les maladies, who are, of course, the, 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 the key people when you go on pilgrimage to Lourdes. You'll notice the special place that is given to those who come to Our Lady's Grotto um, uh, as, as, as the sick. In addition, on the Irish calendar, it's also the feast day of St. Gubnet, a saint generally associated with West Cork and very, very popular saint associated with that part of the world, um, very much associated with Ballyvorney, <clears throat> and it's a place of pilgrimage to her uh, around this time. Uh, she's associated with healing as well, so her gifts of caring for and curing the sick have been a significant part of the cultus which has surrounded her throughout the centuries. And as far as I'm aware, she also uh, is a patron saint for those who suffer with, suffer for epilepsy, but I actually just need to double-check that. Um, then on the 12th of, of February, <clears throat> so this time I'm going east. So I'm we're marking, I'm commemorating the feast day of St. Alexis of Kiev. He was a Russian nobleman who gave up all his positions to become a Basilian monk. Now, a Basilian monk is a monk who follows the rule of St. Basil, uh, which is predominantly the, the, the principal rule of life that's followed in the Orthodox Church. Uh, they don't have congregations per se. They follow the rule of St. Basil. Um, he was elected Archbishop of Kiev, uh, generally because uh, monks were the ones that were created, the bishops and archbishops in the Orthodox Church, because they're not married. And he was very well known for his spiritual wisdom. And even what the way it was described when I looked it up, even the Sultan of the Turks sought his advice, was how it was described. And he died in 1364. Then on the 13th of February, <clears throat> we have the feast day of Blessed Jordan of Saxony. Now, I'm going for this guy this week. He was the, um, he succeeded St. Dominic as the Master General of the Order of Preachers, the Dominicans, in 1222. And under his administration and leadership of the, of the order, it spread throughout Germany and into Denmark. He was noted to be a powerful preacher himself. He joined, obviously joined, the, the Dominicans under St. Dominic himself. Uh, originally, he, he sorry, I should have said, obviously, given his name, Saxony, he is from Germany. He's a Saxon nobility family. 
And uh, his writings on St. Dominic in the early days of the Dominicans are considered primary sources of history for the that particular order. Now, the interesting thing about it is his relationship with Diana Dandalo. Diana Dandalo, she was a uh, Dominican nun, I think. Um, yeah, she was a Dominican nun, uh, received into the order by St. Dominic himself. And there are a series of letters between the two of them which are some of the most spiritual correspondences uh, which survived down to the present day. And um, they'd be well worth people reading with the letters between Dominic and Diane. Um, then on the 14th of February, <clears throat> officially, per the liturgical ordo, we celebrate the feast days of St. Cyril and St. Methodius, who are the co-patrons of Europe, and are called so and were made so by John Paul II because they were brothers from Thessalonica in Greece who preached the gospel in what is known as Moravia and translated the gospel into Slavic, which is now called Cyrillic, which is kind of the language of Russia and that part of the world, uh, which they actually devised. They were honoured as apostles to the Slavic peoples and in 1980, John Paul II declared them patrons of Europe. So that's who's on the official ordo today. Of course, or sorry, on the 14th. Of course, we also have the 14th of February, which is marked as St. Valentine's Day. Now, for those of a liturgical interest, there is a St. Valentine of Rome, priest in Rome, possibly a bishop, and imprisoned for giving aids. And while there, he converted his own jailer. There are several... Um, there's no clear answer as to how the name became associated with St. Valentine. Um... You know, some link it to Roman customs at the time. Other may link it to the fact that birds begin to pair up around that time. Uh, there's no real certain tradition, except that maybe he was beaten and beheaded around that time in Rome. Uh, why he's associated with love is that by tradition, Valentine of Rome was supposed to have encouraged marriage of Roman soldiers, which was not allowed at the time. Now, the Irish connection, of course, with St. Valentine is that there are relics of the saint in the Carmelite Church on Whitefriar Street in Dublin. And I know that on Valentine's Day, there are special blessings for engaged and married couples offered at the shrine of St. Valentine. And if you're ever in Dublin, it's not that far, actually, from Grafton Street. Well worth a visit just to say hello and say a prayer to St. Valentine. So then finally, John, on the 15th of February, we have this feast day of St. Ferranan of Iona. He was a mark of Iona, I'm sorry, a monk of Iona Abbey, spiritual student of St. Columba, and eventually he retired to a place called Alfarnanum, which is in Sligo, and he died around 590. So that's what we have in terms of our celestial guides for this week. Now, John, I forgot one thing last week, which was the Pope's intentions for the month of February. So uh, the paper intentions for the month of, of February this year are that uh, Christians, one second, I've lost my page. Um, <clears throat> so for February, uh, that's, we would pray that the cries of our migrant brothers and sisters, victims of criminal trafficking, may be heard and considered. And of course, that very much links into the fact that the 8th of February is the International Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking, which we marked last week. Okay, John? Okay, Shane, thank you very much indeed for that. Right, I just want to bring a few notices, well, a series of notices actually from our good friend, Father Luke McNamara in Glenstall Abbey. 
actually missed uh, mentioning one last week, but next week, 2.45 to 5.30 uh, in Glenstall, registrations at 2.45, um, there's an event entitled Jeremiah at the Potter's Wheel. So I can hear Jeremiah at the Potter's Wheel, that is Dr. Cyprian Comte, Institut Catholique de Toulouse from France, will be speaking under that. You can actually look at the the prophetic tradition as depicted in art, and that's by the Reverend Andwire, Bishop of Aberdeen and Orkney in Scotland. And do you can you can work with clay in the potter's hand, with Noreen Ramsey, ceramic artist, graduate of Limerick School of Art and Design. So that's two forty-five to five thirty. Booking is essential. Go through the Glenstar website for that. Uh, admission is thirty euros. And of course, finish it at five thirty, and after that, you can, if you wish, join the community for vespers at six p.m. In a few weeks' time, <clears throat> something that might be of interest to young young adults, aged twenty to thirty-five, come and see, rest, refresh, reflect. And this is for young adults, as I said, twenty to thirty-five. <clears throat> it's on Saturday, the twenty-ninth of February, ten a.m. to five p.m. Start up with meditation on life's journey. That's at 10.20 to 10.40 with Lord Stay With Us by Patrick McIntyre, OSB. An introduction to the monastic practice of meditation. Participants are invited to experience the alternating rhythm of word and silence while resting in peace. There's tools of work, so tips for living. That's by, Brenner, by Father Brendan Coffey. Benedict describes his community as a workshop where monks nurture the life skills that become like familiar tools which promote a culture marked by generosity and love. You can visit the Icon Chapel um, as well. Dr. Father Luke McNamara will, will show visitors around that. The visit will include a presentation of the large and diverse collection of icons which are housed in the crypt beneath the Abbey Church. I was there myself. Beautiful. In the afternoon, Father Luke McNamara will lead a reflection on Do Not Lead Us Into, into Temptation. This talk explores the temptation of Jesus during which key life questions will be explored. Uh, Food from the Tree of Life is another presentation, this time given by Father Columba McCann. Participants will be introduced in a practical way to the meditative reading of passages from the Bible. The group will be led in a way of reading which uncovers deep resources for personal and spiritual nourishment. So again, that's open to an invitation for young adults. It's come and see, rest, refresh, reflect, and it's, it's meditation, an introduction to the monastic practice of meditation. Um, starts at uh, 10 a.m., finishes at 5 p.m. Lunch, uh, sorry, lunch is not included, but there is a suggested donation of 10 to 20 euros. So that's the first two uh, notices that I just want to bring to people's attention. I've got a few more which I might uh, I might mention again next week. But that's the, so there's one the 16th, which is Sunday next, and then Saturday week um, on the 29th. Um, was it two weeks? But Saturday the 29th of February, 10 a.m. Come and see, rest, refresh, reflect. A lovely day, I'd say, there for young people. Now, happy to produce the programme as well this morning. Uh, my... Dear lady, wife, Anne. Good morning, Joanne. Morning, John. So at this stage now, you uh, so at this stage now, Anne might lead us in um, a spiritual communion prayer, and this is especially for those who cannot receive Jesus at Mass this morning because they're sick or they can't get out of the house. But it's something that maybe might just give them some little bit of 
a lift this morning. Thanks, Anne. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul, since I now cannot receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Anne. So now we go for our first bit of music. Um, this one by the Maranatha singers entitled, I Want to Praise You. So listen to this, come back and join us in part two, where, as I said, uh, Marion Fenugan uh, will be interviewing Father Mark Hederman on his book, Living the Mystery. After that, we'll go for a piece of music to finish off that particular section, uh, entitled God Alone is Enough by Michael Talbot, my, John Michael Talbot. And then we're back again, of course, to read and reflect on the Word of God in part three. So join us again in part two to listen to uh, Father Mark Hederman.
As I said, uh, Marion Fenuken uh, will be interviewing Father Mark Hederman on his book, Living the Mystery. My next guest this morning has spent over 50 years as a Benedictine monk in Glenstall Abbey. His latest book, Living the Mystery, is about finding a new way of bringing religion or a sense of the sacred into people's lives. Mark Patrick Hedeman, good morning. Good morning as always, Mary. you are extremely uh, welcome. Thank you, Mary. You accept and fully understand, which I know drives some Catholics mad, the whole concept of a la carte. Yes. Yes. Explain your reasoning on that. Well, nobody can take the whole menu if they're going into... There's actually a comedy by, uh, you know, the famous... um, a comedian that you go to the restaurant and the waiter comes up and says, there's the menu. And you say, I'm having the lot, the whole works. <laughs> and then they bring in everything and he has an enormous stomach. And, and then, you know, that uh, it's uh, famous. But anyway, nobody can take the whole menu of anything. And everybody has to choose at some point. And the great... Uh, catch cry is I toast the Pope but I toast my conscience first which Cardinal Newman said now that's used to sound Mm. Protestant well it is Uh, he was Protestant and that is what the uh, Protestant Reformation Mm. really because before that we were all uh, part of a group nobody believed in individuality of any kind and the medieval system was such that you just were always part of a group and to be ostracized or thrown out of the group was as death. Mm. So, I mean, we've all learned. I mean, you take the example of contraception in Ireland, for instance, you know, um, that when it was announced that the Catholic Church said that nobody was ever going to use contraception if they were Catholic, somehow or other, I mean, I don't know how it happened, but Statistics show that families began to decrease. Now, we're not sure exactly how this happened, but as they said in the nursery rhyme, which is always a good indication, there was an old woman, she lived in a shoe, she didn't have any children, she knew what to do. So everybody finds a level at which they say, this is what I believe and I'm going to actually follow that. So I think everybody has to sometime get into the driving seat of their own car and not allow somebody else to be doing the driving. And and I will come back to that. However, there is also the fact that you you do need rules. You have to say you can't kill, you can't steal, you can't do those basic things that society needs in a, in, a, in a way like you have to have some order everybody agrees with that mm. I mean there can't be chaos mm. but at the same time there are private areas you know those regulations concern everybody in general but you find that out when you go into divorce courts for instance that the law is not capable of dealing with certain situations and that the very, very general rules which apply 
when you actually are dealing with very private and very, very difficult situations, then it's too blunt an instrument. So, of course, everybody agrees we have to have laws, okay. but they can go too far and they can start to regulate where they shouldn't be allowed any entrance or access. You talk about the mysterious and that there is the pursuit of the mysterious consciously or unconsciously among all and you talk about 95% of the people on, on, on earth who believe in another and you think that's within all of us? Oh, I think, I mean, the great example, I think, as a story, is the person who is a little drunk and coming back and finding their car, and then they can't find the keys of the car. And they're crawling around under a lamppost looking for the keys of the car. And another person comes and says, what are you doing? I'm looking for the key. Oh, I'll help you. So they crawl around again. Uh, looking for the keys. And then the other person says, well, did you lose them here? Oh, no, he said, I lost them, but there's no light down there. See, so what we are living in is a tiny circle of light, which we call consciousness, where we have absolute certainty or we think we have absolute certainty. But outside that is a massive dark place where we have absolutely no idea what's going on and most of our lives we try to avoid that place but when an accident happens when illness happens when death happens you know suddenly we're into that area of the mysterious so we have to get in touch with that. We have to find out what is that. And how do you? Well, you see, there are so many methods now. And as you know, psychoanalysis is one of the things when I was young, nobody would ever admit that they were going to a psychologist or a psych- you know, it never happened in our family. And you know, right, So yeah. it was regarded as being, but now it's like mental health. And especially if you're in America, you say, I was talking to my uh, a psychiatrist or my psychoanalyst, whatever, you know, it's normal for people. So that's one way of, and actually what they would say is that if the churches had been doing their job properly, there would have been no need for psychiatry. But that's uh, an open discussion. Right. Because some of the people would say, well, they were the ones who drove us all into the psychiatrist's chair. But that's one. Secondly, your dreams, you know, your dreams are very important because most of our lives are, we're asleep. And so the unconscious, which is that vast area like a big iceberg, um, that really uh, tells you what you're refusing to tell yourself during your conscious life and it gives you hints and gives you and dreams are very very important as indicators of what you're leaving out or what you're not uh, paying attention to and they have to be very carefully um, decoded because there are all sorts of books that will tell you well if you see an aeroplane or if you see a boat that this is equal to that that's so uh, 
wrong because everybody has their own different secret code and so you have to try and work it out. And usually the dreams don't give an indication or a meaning with one alone. They come in a series and you see different aspects. Art is another great way. And then I... Because of the imaginative... Oh, Because of the imagination. Because all great art comes from the unconscious and people will always say that. I didn't do this. It came from... And they have all sorts of names for that. I call it the Holy Spirit, but that's because I was brought up as a Catholic. Other people call it uh, so many different names, but they will say I was inspired. They won't say I did it myself. It came from somewhere else. So all that area of the unconscious. And the first book I ever wrote was called Kissing the Dark, which was trying to get people to actually fall somehow or other get into contact with darkness which we try to avoid we say oh no no we want light all the time and we live in a civilization where everything daylight I mean you can have tennis matches now that are going on at midnight but whereas before uh, darkness was a reality so but people read read my book because they thought it was called Kissing in the Dark and they got another um, version of something so it is really important for us in the 21st century to get in touch with our unconscious before people didn't have to do that they didn't want to do that and it took 20 centuries to actually recognize that it was essential because the 20th century produced so many people who weren't in touch with that and they cause such havoc not I mean we talk about Hitler and Stalin these because they're the kind of poster boys yeah. of what happens when you don't get in touch but everybody who was in charge of a school or any institution become uh, out of control if they're not in touch with their unconscious and we all have this uh, now um, definite need and mandate to come and get in touch with that side of ourselves, the mystery really yeah, yeah. But, and, and you also talk about nature um, nearly like pantheism but can I just bring you back to the 20th century and, and indeed the 21st century and say beauty and you talk about somebody a kid's been at a Rembrandt exhibition or adults going out for a walk and that there is an engagement now I know this is superficial in its, in one way but it seems terribly prevalent and important in another way that actually experiencing something is no longer the point I was at a, a ballet recently overseas and there was a bunch of, I think they were Koreans, I'm not quite sure. And they saw the whole thing through a camera phone. Uh, and people are on messages and Facebook and mm. it's kind of all consuming. And there's no space, as it were, for serenity. Yes, or for even looking around you and seeing what is happening actually outside my particular radar screen because we screen off everything that we don't want to see and we're able to do that, you can turn it off whereas the world is happening outside, the mystery and uh, it's very important to be listening in and getting the messages from that that 
be, you know, we may not be able to interpret immediately, but they're telling us something about what's happening outside our little ego sphere. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you also in talking about Buddhism. Sorry, I'm leaping around here because of, of time. But you you say that Buddhism teaches a method yeah. rather than a dogma. Well, I'm not even saying rather than. I'm saying they're the only ones who really do teach people how to meditate or how to be tranquil or how to be calm. And it's really very, very well done. But for them, it's a kind of mental hygiene. You know, everybody needs to know how to control their mind. Everybody needs to know how to get to the point in themselves where there's stillness. And they know how to teach that and very effectively. Whereas other religions, especially Christian religions, didn't have that methodology but uh, they do have it, but it's not really brought to the fore sufficiently. But don't, don't you have it in the monastery? Well, I see the real point is that nobody has it really. There is nobody can tell you how to meditate. There are supposedly 7 billion people in the world today, and that means there are 7 billion ways of getting in touch with the divine or whatever we want to call God. And you have to find your way. And when you do find it, that is the most important discovery of your life because it gives you access to the most exciting and most satisfying relationship that's possible on this planet. But people who tell you, oh, I have the method or you read it in a book and you can be doing St. Teresa of Avila was on the wrong course, which was told to her by somebody else for 40 years until she met somebody who said, no, no, your own natural way of relating is the one you should use when you're relating to God also. And then from then on, she became the greatest contemplative of her time and probably of any time. So finding that connection is the really important thing, but nobody has the monopoly and nobody can actually say to you, well, I know how to do it. And Benedictine, where I am, yes. they never pretended to have a method. They, uh, you, you, you find your own way in a natural framework, but they provide a liturgy, a space of worship, which is very beautiful and very open. And that you consider, well, I was thinking of the chanting and and the wonderful music and and all of that. That must contribute in, in some small way. Oh, in a very big way. I mean, yeah. chanting is very, very important. And in fact, I, the chant goes back to the Middle Ages. And I remember when I was um, uh, landing in an airport in New York and the taxi driver bringing me in and I saw on his uh, CD player that he had Gregorian chant. Yes. I said, oh, I said, Gosh, that's true. He always said, yes, that's what my psych recommended for road rage. So (laughs) there is something in the chant which everybody has recognized that is calming because it's centuries of distilling of ways of connecting and music and chant are most important. Right. Yeah. Okay. And you would also say poetry. Uh, I know. You, uh, can I go back to the very beginning? Because you say in a way that will outrage an awful lot of Catholics that you're delighted with the state of the Catholic Church here in Ireland today and that people aren't being pushed about anymore with rules and regulations. Are you looking to, to make some people very, very 
angry? Well, I don't think people can be made more angry than they already are because everybody seems to be very angry with, I mean, I couldn't agree with them more with what they see in the papers all over. But what I'm saying is that there is a church and it is a very important organization. It's the biggest uh, NGO in the world. There's over a billion people in it. It's done very, very good work. And it will be there in a 100 years' time. I am absolutely certain that whatever form or shape it takes. Now, the one I was born into, because I happened to have an American mother, and I could have been born elsewhere, but she landed on a farm in Ireland, and that's where I was born. So I was born right at the time when Ireland was the poster Catholic Church uh, state in the world. We were number one. And for many people, that was a great privilege. I saw it as an oppressive situation. And I think the actual church that Jesus Christ founded is three carriages away from where we are, the engine of it. And our Irish Roman Catholic Church, the two carriages, Irish and Roman, should be uncoupled. Now, the present Pope is not Steve McQueen, because if you remember the great train robbery, all he had to do was release one of the carriages and it went backwards yes. down the thing. That he's trying to do that, because the Irish part of it has disappeared. I mean, it's gone, and what I knew in 1950s and 60s no longer exists in that way, where everything was regulated from there, every uh, way people behaved, etc., etc. Now, the Roman part of it, which is only 100 years old, I mean, was Mussolini and the Pope at the time that organized the Vatican State 100 years ago, that could also be uncoupled. And then we could get to a church which was not hierarchical, which was the people. The, it's actually the people and the church is not an organization it's an organism and it means that wherever two or three people are gathered together that is the church and we own it and we should take it back and so I'm saying that I'm very happy that all these things that have accrued are disappearing and if we got back to the original we'd all be very happy. Right just a couple of comments before you go uh, an Alicard Catholic is a conscientious Catholic. Following orders is no excuse for not doing the right thing. Um, another one says, this man is saying you can have your cake and eat it. I accept the bits of my religion that says, carry on the way you are, but reject the parts that say, I'm doing something wrong. I don't really get the impression from listening. Oh, no, that was from, from Maria Walsh. Uh, I know, as always, when you come on, people are absolutely fascinated uh, by these ideas. What an inspiration. What a lovely man that is. He gives me hope in this dark time. Thank you very much. I'm sure you're only reading one out of a hundred who are saying the opposite. <laughs> no, not true. Listen, yeah. uh, as now always, thank you very much. That was uh, Mark Patrick Hedeman. The book is called Living the Mystery, What Lies Between Science and Religion and uh, uh, it is seriously thought-provoking uh, and I would recommend it. So thank you very, very much indeed for coming in.
trouble you And let nothing frighten you For everything passes But God will never change Patient endurance Will obtain everything Whoever has God Wants for nothing at all God alone is enough frighten you for everything passes but God will never change patient endurance will obtain So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. So joined in studio here by Anne, and Shane is still joining us on the other end of the Skype line. Certainly there's one thing about Father Mark Hederman. He'll certainly give us food for thought. So now we will um, read and reflect. Uh, we'll now um, go to the part where we read and reflect on the Word of God. And before that, there's a prayer we always pray before reading and reflecting on Scripture. And we'll ask Anne to pray that for us this morning. Thanks, Anne. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, humbly, and attentively. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, 
often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this order in union with Mary. He used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Anne. Snow will we'll read the Gospel for, again, it's the fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time, taken from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. Jesus said to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt becomes tasteless, what can make it salty again? It is good for nothing, and can only be thrown out to be trampled under foot by men. You are the light of the world. A city, a city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp to put it under a tub, but they put it on a lampstand where it shines for everyone in the house. In the same way, your light must shine in the sight of men, so that seeing your good works, they may give praise to your Father in heaven. That's the Gospel for today, a very familiar Gospel, but no doubt it's got some very profound messages for us. Shane, do you want to start us off with a reflection, please? Yeah, um, as you said, John, <clears throat> a very familiar gospel. And of course, one of the challenges that we have with the gospels, which we are overly familiar with, like salt of the earth, light of the world, is that because we're so familiar, I suppose, they can lose their impact. They can, you know, familiarity to a certain extent can breed contempt. Now, the thing about this particular pericope from Matthew's Gospel is the fact that it comes <clears throat> immediately after the Beatitudes, so the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives. And it's, I suppose, the idea is that Jesus is trying, I suppose, to set out for his disciples, using different metaphors, uh, what they are called to be. But if you think about it, salt and light you know, they uh, they give of themselves, you know, on their own, uh, each on its own isn't any particular use, but it's true the fact that they are reactive and active in the world um, that they give and have meaning, if you like. I suppose one of the challenges for us as Christians in the world is how is the challenge for us to be witnesses in the world? Um I suppose one of the things we've often said on this program, one of the catchphrases, if you like, that I have used over the years is the fact that to be Christian is to be in community and in communion. You cannot be a solitary Christian. To, for, you know, when a Christian turns up and says, I don't need the church, but I am a Christian, they are contradicting themselves. By definition, a Christian is somebody who is in community. And by virtue of the fact that we are in community, we have responsibilities in community, but we also have a response in terms of our you know, responsibilities to the community. But as Christians, we also have responsibilities in terms of how we live our lives and giving witness to the faith that drives us on. And I suppose if you think about it in two ways, <clears throat> salt at the time of Jesus was a very important preservative in a world that didn't have refrigeration. Um, it was seen as being pure and essential for life, which to a certain extent it still is, of course. You cannot survive without salt in your blood. 
So I suppose the question for us is, you know, as Christians, could we survive without Christianity in our lives? Could we survive without our faith? Are we actively engaged with those moments of the divine that we experience in our daily lives? Are we actively seeking to encounter God, making space in our daily lives? You know, as we said at the top of the program, we're a couple of weeks out from Lent. It's a great opportunity to start preparing and to kind of see where we make time and space. The other side of it, I suppose, is for us, you know, we are salt is it's 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 a preservative, but it also can be um, uh, it can lose its flavor, you know, and it's the reminder to us that unless we are um, actively in making time for God in our Christian lives and bearing witness to that joy that we can lose it. You know, I suppose it's it's kind of it kind of links very much to that other analogy that Jesus uses, which is that you're a light of the world. Um, and, you know, a city built on a hilltop cannot be hidden or no one puts a light lamp under a tub. They put it in a lampstand where it can be a benefit to all. And I suppose when we talk about light, it's, you know, dispelling the darkness. And of course, last weekend we had the celebration of the presentation and Candlemas and that whole great reflection on Jesus as the light of the world, which is why we have Candlemas as a celebration. Uh, but it's not just that Jesus is the light of the world. Each of us, because we are baptized into Christ, because we are members of his body, we are members of the church, because we call ourselves Christians, because we are made in, that, in the image and likeness of God, we are also lights for the world if we live up to our baptismal calling. And what is that? You know, that's the thing I think we might need to think about on this particular Sunday. Are we responding to that? Are we living up to that? You know, there's that expression, the city on the hill. Now, I suppose it's very much associated with uh, the former U.S. president, uh, Ronald Reagan. It was one of the great expressions he used when he talked about the role of America in the world. But if we bring it back to its scriptural foundations, you know, a city on a hill was a place that gave direction, orientation uh, for people, somewhere where they could, you know, take a sense of understanding where they stood, say, in the middle of a desert or in the middle of a of a of a strange land, and it was kind of a beacon of civilization because to be in the city was to be in the civitas, which was associated with with civility and civilization. And I suppose that's also, you know, again, it links back to that idea of being an example, an exemplar for the world, and this isn't something new. This is something which has been a theme all the way down through the centuries of Christianity. You know, going right back to the time of the early fathers and mothers of the church, the great martyrdoms which happened in the second and third centuries, where the expression was, you know, they are Christians by their love. And I suppose for us, as we come out of the drama that is a general election campaign and the vote that was in yesterday, and we come out of the drama that was Brexit that went on for three years, I suppose we have to look around, we have to ask ourselves as well about the coarsening of society that's around us and the need to be able to engage with those that are of a different view of ourselves in a more civilized manner. And that whole call to civility, if you like, that's out there. But in terms of this Sunday's gospel, I suppose, John, the way I kind of sum it up for me is salt and light and city on the hill. When you bring it back to each and every one of us, I suppose, the question for us this Sunday is, Am I that example in the world that I live in, in the community that I live in, amongst the people that I celebrate and share with 
among my colleagues at work, among my family. And we're not talking about martyrdom. We're not talking about Holy Joes. We're talking about witnessing through the love of God in our lives, through the good that we do, through the relationships that we share, and at the same time leaving, leaving space and nurturing it by our making time for the divine in our lives. Thank you for that, Shane. Um, very much my own thoughts, very much uh, sort of thoughts that I prepared. Um, I think, as you say, it's so important that we can't just be standing to one side and be kind of part-time Catholics and so on and so forth. There's people out there who want us maybe to witness, to give them the courage to be able to continue with some hope and some meaning for their lives. So maybe this Sunday, you know, let's try and add a little bit of flavour to, you know, to somebody else's life by just being an example. We don't have to go out and preach and so on and so forth, but just by just by our example, just by being ourselves. I think somebody told me there today or I read somewhere there today about salt. You know, salt can't be seen, but you certainly know its presence by by its taste. And so maybe ourselves. Might necessarily be uh, be be shouting from the from the mast uh, from the rooftops, but they know us by our example. Thanks a lot for that, Shane. Um, lovely program again. Uh, a bit different now this week. We hadn't planned to to have uh, Father Mac with us, but again, food for thought. And um, isn't that what it's all about? Sharing thoughts and and seeing what it brings, and asking the Holy Spirit to guide us. Just before we go, Shane, I think you got a special guest joining us next week. It's Padre yes. Pio. Hopefully Fans. all going to plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so next uh, next week we're planning to be joined by Father Brian Shortall. He's the cap. He's a Capuchin friar. We had him on before, and this time he's talking about his new book, Sending Positive Vibes. And he's also going to share with us his work to do with the Padre Pio Apostolate in Ireland, as he's involved with the Padre Pio office uh, here in Dublin. So that is the plan. Uh, inshallah, all going to plan uh, next week. Very good, and thank you very much, Nee, for that, Shane. So now we'll go out for our final piece of music. I couldn't help it this week, all about salt and light and all that. I know I played it before, before Christmas sometime, and I'll play it again. This Little Light of Mine by Tom McKenzie. So until next week, from Shane and from Anne and for myself, thank you again for joining us. I hope you have a good week, and please join us again next week. God bless you all now. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.